0: Episode 34, Being Your Stand. Welcome to the story in your head. I'm Ron Macklin, and today, Michelle and I discuss the word stand. We discuss some of our own stands and how they can affect others around us. We also talk about different techniques to recognize when you aren't living your stand and how to resolve this so that you can live in calmness and peace. Are you looking to strengthen your relationships, whether personally or professionally? You want to learn how to build authentic connections faster, or perhaps you're looking to beat employee burnout through the power of connection? My name is Ron Macklin, founder of Macklin Connection, and in our workshops, we teach you the fundamentals of how to do exactly that and more. To learn more of the power of your relationships, visit us at macklinconnection.com.
1: Welcome to the story in your head. I'm Michelle Masago
0: and I'm Ron Macklin
1: and today we're going to talk about stand. So I looked up stand in uh, handy dandy internet and I was curious to see what I came up with and there was two things that intrigued me a little bit. One it had stand listed as a noun and it had stand listed as a verb and I was like huh I never really thought of it that way so let me tell you what it says. So a noun an attitude toward a particular issue, a position taken. Okay, got it. But it's also a verb, and it has to be situated in a particular place or position, to be. So I start thinking about that, and I'm curious, Rod, what does that trigger for you, and how do you hold stand? And what is it? Is it a noun, is it a verb? Yes. Is it something else? Yeah, I, yeah.
0: So, sorry for the glib answer there. It, it is, for me, it is both. And I use it that way when I'm writing, but as I'm thinking about it, and holding it, it's it's only a verb. It's around the action that I take by being my stand. And I, when I look at those two distinctions that you or two definitions that you brought forth, I kind of combine those two together because it is like your view towards something. It is like in that space, but it also is, it is how you orient yourself. The most powerful part of my work on stand was when I discovered. That I was always being my stand. I mean, there was a, there was like, before he was going, Oh, well, that's not who I really am. Like, that's not what I'm really doing, or that's not who I want to be. But when I resolved to say I'm always being my stand, then I can begin to look at it from like an assessment of like, do I like that stand? Do I want to continue that stand? Many times what I noticed was I was in the middle of being my stand. And I didn't even know that I had made up that that was my stand. Somewhere when I was somewhere five, seven, nine, th- 15, 21, 25, 27, whatever the ages that I was, I made up some story that this was what was the best thing for me to do. And I don't know that I said, like reflected on and goes, no, well, let me think about this. Would this be a good thing for me to do? Right. No, just like, ooh, that worked. It's now part of me. And I made up all those stories and I lived from them without even knowing that I had made them up. Once I began to say, I'm always being my stand and I can create a new stand then I could notice the stand that I'm being in the moment and choose it or not. So to me, it really comes down to it is a verb. Although a lot of people hold it like a noun, like it's fixed and permanent versus it's a creation of yourself.
1: Do you have an example of something that has modified over your life, like a piece of your stand? Because you said, right, it it can be modified, it can be recreated or changed because the world and you change. Mm -hmm. So is there something you can think of? Yeah. So
0: when I was younger and playing sports and going to school and competing for grades and all that, I really had part of my stand was I had opponents and for me, those showed up like enemies. Like they really were my enemy. I was trying to beat them, right. To get my grade, to get my on the, on the first, get on the team, then to get on the st- first team and then to start and then to, and my comp, my, my enemies kept changing. Right. Cause then like, there was a moment when it was like, I just want to be on the team. Right. And then the second I got on the team it was like, okay, I want to be first string. So now I was, before I was competing against all the people who didn't make the team and who made the team. And then I was competing against everybody else on the team, right? And then we went into competition and all of a sudden this new distinction called all conference, first team all conference showed up. I wasn't even competing against my team anymore. I was competing against all the other people who played my position in the team on all the other teams that I played against. So I always had this person that was my enemy and they were out to get me and I was out to get them. And my stand was like, to be all in, to be the best I could be, and and everything I could, I could beat them. And my stand shifted when I moved into a space where, like, how do we help people become powerful? And I found it was I had this distinction of this whole group of people, because of the story in my head, I had a whole group of people that were my enemies. And I was always looking for who are my enemies. And when I shifted my stand, like I noticed it, I shifted my stand to... Oh, well, these may be my competitors. They may be somebody I compete against, but they're not my enemy. And my stand shifted to where I could now see, because before I couldn't ever see that they were afraid, and now I could see that they're afraid because they're not my enemy anymore. They're my competition. And sometimes the people who were my competition became my ally. So real quick, I was a junior college. I played against a guy named Rennes Reed. We both went on to K-State. So now the two of us who used to compete against each other, and he destroyed me most of the time, and we were roommates. We were best of friends. And it was so revealing for myself to get to know him as a human, as a friend, as somebody I trusted. And I really enjoyed being with him. And I kept remembering back to, oh, man, I used to hate that guy. Because my stand was he was the enemy. And I find myself like that's still in my story is to notice people and go, Oh, are they my enemy? And I go, what? nobody's my enemy. Now there may be somebody out there and I'm okay with the fact that someday I may get surprised by somebody who's actually an enemy. What I really hold is everybody out there is somebody who I can learn from everybody out there is somebody I can work with and I'm okay with competing against people in the world. Cause it makes me better. I think it makes them better. When we're in competition.
1: Yeah, it always brings the story to me, especially in sports, friendly competition, right? And even in business. Right? So when you're working with a company that is a competitor, we would collaborate with them all the time. It doesn't mean you're not in competition. So I have one that that I wonder for myself. I've been thinking about this one for a stand. And if you're open to working it for me, yes, just to, it might help me to work through it. All right. So this is having to deal with my mom. So when, as most people, write, your parents get older. And as my parents are getting older, I always made a commitment to my dad that I would take care of my mom. I didn't know what that meant, but I'm like, okay, fine. I really wasn't too concerned about it because his health was so much better than hers until on Christmas, I noticed that's not the case anymore. And then he passed away that following January. So I had this promise sort of in my head. And so... But okay, I'm going to take care of my mom. I left her in the house. I brought AIDS in. Total disaster. That was not going to work, right? She just wasn't doing it. And what I didn't realize was how far along her Alzheimer's was. And when you have people with cognitive issues, right? the whole game I learned a lot changes. So I brought her up to live with me. Her health wasn't great. I figured, yeah fine. I can uh, I could deal with this for 18 months. and five and a half years later, right? She passes, so we've had quite a bit of time to work with her. And the one thing I always held, and I think this is a stand, and I'll tell you why I think, is to, for her to create a stand for her to produce a dignified end of life. I figured that's the best gift I could give her and would fulfill on my promise to my dad to take care of her. I didn't know what that meant. And in the beginning, she could help me to determine for her what that meant. But as her cognitive abilities shifted, right, I had to make more and more of those decisions. And there are things when you get towards that end of life especially with Alzheimer's that are jobs that you need to do that you do not wake up in the morning thinking, I want to do this, right? And so I always had that in the back of my mind that to give her a dignified end of life. And what that allowed me to do is to do some jobs and things for her that I always said, it's an act of love, but I never held resentment. And what I see so much of other people that are caregivers, because there were times, especially with COVID, all of our help, sort of disappeared because they couldn't come to the house anymore. Mm-hmm. And suddenly we realized, oh, we can only leave the house for an hour. Oh, we can only leave the house for two hours, right? Can't go on vacation for a while because we couldn't get help to take care of her, but never held that resentment. And I'm always grateful for the time that I had with her. Would you hold that as a stand, that statement to produce a dignified end of life? Cause it is something I said to myself almost every day as I was, I was a caregiver for her for that long.
0: It occurs to me as your stand. like, And I want to go a little, little further into what, what I noticed, right? But there was a space where I kept hearing the conversation that you'd made a promise to your father to do this. Mm-hmm. And like, it occurs to me a little differently as in you made a promise to yourself mm-hmm. to do this. But when your father was gone, you still held the promise. So it was a promise you made to yourself. That's the way it occurs. And that you were able to create it every day, that's powerful. As we do create ourselves every day, whether we know we're doing it or not, right? We create ourselves. And that you did it every day as you went through, very powerful. And that way of being or who you are for her, right? And your stand for her and your stand for yourself. And also I would throw in there the stand you were for your family around you who were watching all of that and doing that every day created a whole space for people to notice you and for you to be in the world. So it is your stand. It's your stand for you and how you move. It is your stand for her. And because you held it the whole time, it was your stand.
1: Thanks Ron. I I was working that promise piece and you're right that was a request i guess i could say from my dad right mm-hmm. and it's my choice to accept or not correct. and certainly once he was gone right depending on your beliefs you, you could still accept or not and, and there was many ways to take care of her mm-hmm. right you can put her into a nursing home you can do all sorts of things And we chose not to do that because of the definition that we held of a dignified end of life and what i was go- knowing what was going on in nursing homes but yeah it held me together every day Right, as you kind of work through that. And it is a phrase that we talked about a lot as a family. So my my husband, Marcus, amazingly, an amazing guy helped me so much. And eventually my daughter came to live with us and she did too, right? So it became not just my stand, but their stand. And I'm curious, especially for my daughter who's young, she's she's only 25, I'm curious how that affects her kind of as time goes on. Just because we live in a 55 plus community, And that idea of sort of that end of life, unfortunately, comes up here more than in other communities. Mm -hmm. But boy, has that a helpful experience.
0: There's a power of your own life to hold that you are creating your own stand and you are living your stand. And the orientation from, like, I'm going to be here doing this because I choose to be here doing this and this is my promise and my commitment. Versus the stand of, well, this is somebody else asked me to do this, or i somebody asked me to do this, or I've been a promise a long time ago and all of that. And there's a space where you're not fully there with them. And when somebody accepts your stand, it's not that they're accepting your stand. Mm-hmm. It's their stand that they're creating and being with you. And when you're open and claim it as your own, like, this is my stand, right? This is what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing it. There's no regrets. There's no looking back and going, oh, why did I do that? I can't believe I spent five years, five and a half years doing that, right? Instead, it's looking back going like, I'm really happy what I did. So this was, this is a good life. And that's true for Marcus and Camille and everybody else who supported in, inside your network. Because it became their stand or not.
1: Thank you. So that leads me to another question, which is interesting, right? So you have your stand and I accept they accepted my stand and supported me. Mm -hmm. Whether they choose that as their own is is their choice. But it certainly was an influence. And what I mean by that is, you know, holding that stand, staying centered every day and working through it, never an ounce of regret from either of them of what they did to help me. So how can your stand, right thinking about the world make a difference for others? right? If you think about your stand, how does that right it certainly uh, affects you and how you're going to act towards others and your stand for others. How could it affect them?
0: By you living your stand how how challenging was it for Marcus and Camille to accept your stand?
1: Not very, you know or when we talked about it, right, so it wasn't a hidden thing. Mm-hmm. And we discussed what's behind it. And we were together, made a lot of choices to support her, especially towards the end. So yeah, not hard at all.
0: The, the the noticing of mine is when I am being my stand and I'm clear about my stand and I'm living in it and from it, modifying it as I go because I learn stuff, it's much easier for other people to join me. Like it drops their cost. Because they can they know who I am. They know what I'm up to. They can predict where I'm going to go, what I'm going to do because they know my stand. It makes it easier for them to be with me. It makes it easier for them to live their stand. If you're around somebody who's like not being with their stand or should I say their stand is not clear and open and or is it their stand is to be deceivious, right? It makes it hard for anybody else to be in their stand as well, to live in that. Their stand can become something like watch out. Their stand can become careful, careful, right? Their stand is watch out for that one over there too, right? And what that does is it doesn't open up any kind of vulnerability. It becomes a lot of people putting up their shields. A lot of people who are like moving away and not being authentic and being focused on how they occur so they don't get in trouble. And so being your stand can make it much easier for other people to be their stand. They're being authentic, being real, which comes with all the strengths and all the fun, and all the cool stuff and all the weaknesses and flaws and all the all bad stuff. Because you're authentic and you are your stand. Is there somebody in your life who you knew who really had a stand and lived by it? And what did you notice about being around them?
1: I'm just trying to think through a good friend of mine. Her stand is to see the good in everyone, right? And no matter what somebody was doing, you know, and who they were, she always talked positive. Hey, they're doing that because maybe they don't have enough money or they're doing that because they're scared or they're doing that, right? It was, oh, it was never anything. It was always, and I'm, I love that person, right? She'd always just say that no matter who they were. And it really opened up to see people for people and not the story that you made up about them. So I'd say that was the most powerful one of a, of a friend of mine, who I love, right? Very dear friend, made a difference for me where no matter what, she had that stand. And I've never seen her not be there.
0: Thanks, Michelle. Have you been around somebody who their stand was to be distrusting and closed and not vulnerable.
1: Absolutely. And, and what, what was that like? People that I tend to avoid, but I use my friend's stand, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and that helps me. So there is, is somebody that I, I know, a competitor, I will say. Whenever she competes and I ask her how she's doing, it's always, oh, my partner every and i've tracked it for for a year now just yeah. out, and i i have to kind of almost laugh at it it's always her partner and i've watched some of the games so there's definitely a lot of fear there right and that's where i can reorient and recreate to that person to say yeah they're pretty negative but what's behind that right and not make them wrong or bad mm-hmm. they just are
0: and you're doing the work that we're doing right we're Mm-hmm. Noticing ourselves, creating ourselves in all that space. What do you think most people do when they're around somebody like that?
1: So I've watched that too. And there's usually two responses, uncommon, I'd say. One, people just walk away, right? Like, because they just don't want to be involved or listen. So they just turn around literally and just turn around mid, okay, I'm out of here. Or they engage in the anger, mm-hmm. right? And, and feed on it. And that, turns, that can turn pretty ugly. Mm hmm.
0: What's showing up for you in the space of how your stand affects other people?
1: Yeah. So what's interesting, right, in the engagement that people can have in the anger, Mm -hmm. I can say a few things like, oh, I saw your partner. I thought she was doing okay or, or something, right, to kind of break the cycle. It's amazing that it does exactly that. It can break the cycle and start to center people and the anger drops. Maybe not all the way but it does make a difference in the group.
0: What new experiment might you try with her in the future, or him?
1: Yeah, I've never really thought about it, so thanks for working this for me, because I'm like, wow, you're right. If you do that, it does make a difference, doesn't it? And I have sat down with her. I actually just talked one-on-one and chatted and learned about her history. She's from South Africa, all sorts of things that had happened in her past. And as I did that, what I find as I open up and be more vulnerable, so does she. And the conversations will shift, certainly one-on-one, not so much in a crowd, Mm -hmm. but definitely one-on-one. And that's a start, right? To keep building that trust and vulnerability. I mean, I can certainly talk about when I compete, my long list of things I'd love to do better, but I can do it with a smile because I know every time I'm out there, I just do my best, which is all I can do, and just get better each time.
0: I want to, not step over the, you brought the word vulnerability and, and to be vulnerable as in being a part of your stand. A common assessment of vulnerability is spaces where you're weak and I hold it differently.
1: Mm.
0: I'm working it differently. It's not where I'm weak. It's where I can be courageous. So those are the areas that occur to me, right? As some place to step into. The reason that I'm weak in those areas I'm holding is that I haven't spent much time in them. And if I can be vulnerable with somebody else, what happens? And every time I do that, what I notice is they're not thinking about or acting from my weakness. They're looking at their own. And I notice that when people are being vulnerable with me, I'm listening to them and I'm also thinking in my head, oh God, that's me. That is so me, that I do that. And that means in some ways I'm listening, in many ways I'm not. Because I'm in my own head looking at that is me too. When two people have a common story that they are a certain way or are being a certain way and they have the assessment they're being the same way, it pulls them together. It makes it easy to talk. The barriers come down. You think of all kinds of metaphors in there, right? But it just opens up communication to where you can talk and be yourself. And that's one of the things that I value about my stand is just to be myself. That I'm enough. And that's not always easy to hold. But I found it to be very peaceful when I do.
1: Yeah, thank you. I find that vulnerability discussion usually is followed by a lot of silence. And it's important to leave that space for people to think.
0: I love the word silence because there's no silence, just nothing out loud.
1: (laughs) Not verbal communication. How's that? (laughs) Yeah, 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 I got it.
0: But there's a lot of thinking, a lot of talking going on.
1: I agree with you on the stand. When I am my stand, that is where I can be most peaceful, where I can be peaceful. And when I notice that a conflict in me, like you know, your stomach's churning or something, what I usually go to is a little bit of a checklist of my stand to see if I'm in conflict of what I've written down and what I'm being. And I'd say nine times out of 10, that is exactly what's going on. And then I can choose either to drop back into my stand or change it.
0: I went through a long phase of, with my stand of shooting on myself. I wrote down my stand. And then when I wasn't, I wasn't being my stand, I would go look at me. I'm a failure. I'm terrible. I'm, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm like all kinds of stories about myself. And really, the only person that really suffered with that was me. And when I noticed differently that my stand was whatever I was doing, then I could really go, oh, so that's my stand. Hmm, that's not what I want. What do I got to do to change that? How do I I be differently? How do I act differently? What do I do or have differently? And that opened up a whole new space for me to look at me and to celebrate when I notice my stand. I also find when I celebrate something, I notice it quicker the next time. And one of the powerful things of of our work is not that you get it right, it's that you just get faster at noticing. And that opens up a whole world for people to, for me, to notice people.
1: I was going to say, is what you just made me think of is perhaps something to consider adding to my stand is that I'm not wrong, right? It's a learning experience or it's an opportunity or it's a, an adjustment to my stand. But that word wrong kind of lives in our society pretty strongly. And what, hap- what would happen if I took that out? Mm-hmm. They might have to work that one a little bit.
0: What What does that mean for you? I'm going to work that one.
1: Well, so when I think about it, I've never really thought, I I can put blame on myself pretty easily as that shooting, right? Mm -hmm. And that makes me wrong to myself, right? I'm the only one that made that assessment. There's nobody else that's out there with a clipboard and, and, you know, checking things off on a little clipboard and assessment. But to catch myself, to say, did I just make myself wrong? And what do I do about that? So that's what I mean. Like in life, I, I don't really pay attention to that right now. And so what would happen if I ran an experiment for the next week to notice where I have assessed myself as wrong and to take that out and reorient towards that to, do I need to adjust my stand? Was it something that I just didn't know? Was I naive, right? Or didn't have the knowledge for it? And then to expand that to others, right? Mm -hmm. Not to assess them as wrong. So that's what I mean by working that, to run a little experiment where that's higher in my noticing.
0: Great. Thanks, Michelle. That was, thanks for working that.
1: All right. Well, thank you. So for Ron, any anything you'd like to add on stand for today?
0: My stand and, and being my stand has become my fallback, as in when something's not working out like I hoped, right? Um, my relationships, my outcome, my writing, my whatever it is, I fall back to where does my stand, what did I say it was, what is it actually showing up as, and how do I I shift that space? Not in a place of I'm good or I'm bad. I'm doing well or I'm doing poor. But just to notice it, celebrate that I noticed it, and move on. And that's brought a lot of peace to my existence. What about you, Michelle?
1: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, for me, so stand is not something I really had to practice still until I started working with you and, and Macklin connection. Right, I, I had one, but I didn't know I had one until I formalized it and, and actually started to write it down. And by the way, it's taken a few years; it gets modified, and I think it'll always get modified, mm-hmm. especially as life goes on. And I'm, I'm fine with that. As I said, now wrong, maybe somewhere in there, and that's made a difference for me and has brought me more calmness and peace because it's a set of things. Principles and of and your stand that, that I want to live by and be. And it's really nice to write them down. Much more powerful than people may think.
0: Yep, I agree. I agree. Thank you all for listening today. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. Not only does it help the show, but we'd love to hear from you. If you have a minute, share your feedback.
1: Thank you all, and we'll see you next time.